Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. My name is Andy. I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection Church. So glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad you're here. Um, church family, can we give them a hand clap and welcome this morning? I'm going to be reading um, a sermon text this morning. We continue our study in the, the letter of uh, Philippians, the epistle of Philippians. If you want to turn there, chapter 2 is where we're at. We'll start reading verse 12 of chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling, grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thank you, Andy. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, back at two services. Kind of love that, kind of don't. <laughs> We're all familiar with the, uh, the old adage, um, you get out what you put in, right? It's, it's a proverbial statement that we use to describe how life typically works. When we put effort into something, typically speaking, that there will be a corresponding benefit or result. If you make an investment financially, if that, finance, if that investment is a good investment, the more you put in, the more return on investment you're going to get. The more effort you put into your school, into your work, to your physical fitness, to your relationships, to your marriage, right? Typically speaking, the more benefit, the more results you're going to enjoy. That's just kind of the way life typically works, right? So it stands to reason, it makes sense why we might tend to think, or might be tempted to think that the Christian life lived out works the same way. The more I put in, the more I put in, the more results or benefit I'm going to get in the Christian life lived out. The more I pray, the more I worship, the more I read my Bible, the more I serve, the more I give, the more I fast, the more I attend church the more results, spiritually speaking, I'm going to see in my Christian life lived out. Aren't we tempted to think that way? And certainly we are never going to say at Resurrection Church that our effort isn't a part of that. Certainly we encourage you, read your Bible more. 
Pray more. Worship in spirit and truth more. Serve more. That's good. But isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul in our text this morning, under inspiration of the Spirit, seems to be saying the exact opposite. Not the exact opposite, but significantly different. Work out what God is working in. Let, let me read it again in case you missed it. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think I'm reading that right. You test me. Work out, Christians. Make effort. Our efforts involved. Amen. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling on the basis of not what you're putting in, but what God is working in. Maybe the Christian life lived out is not a you get out what you put in, but it's you work out what God is working in. And we got to ask the question, what's God working in? Would you notice how verse 12 starts? Big word, huge word, always an important word to notice in scripture. Therefore, which means Paul's building on what he's just said. What has he just said? Let's read it again. You can open your Bibles. This is not on the screen. Verses 5 to 11 of Philippians 2. This is what we looked at last week. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Those in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ, the God-man, has been exalted by God the Father because he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He took on human form. He perfectly obeyed, perfectly. The Father's plan was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He suffered in our place. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. That is the basis upon which Paul now says, work out what God is working in. What is God working in? Maybe the better question is, who is God working in? I've referenced this verse a few times in our study through Philippians because I just think it's the same Apostle Paul unpacking a little bit more for us what he's saying in Philippians. Galatians 2.20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It'll be on the screen. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What is Paul saying? Minimally, he's saying this. The basis upon which my life lived out now flows 
is not me anymore. He's still living his life. He says, the life I now live in the flesh. In other words, he, you, know, you realize our bodies are, are, are the things which God has given us to show up in the world. We're living out the Christian life. We work it out. But Paul says, what I'm working out, what I'm living out, this life I now live in the flesh, it's no longer based on me. It's based on my confidence in the one who lives in me. It's Christ's life in me that is now getting worked out in my life that I now live in the flesh. Maybe the Christian life is not what you get out, what you put in, but it's you work out who is now living in you. Do you see the difference? I'm not just playing with words here. This is what the Bible teaches us is that we are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ came as a man, was born, lived, died, and rose again, ascended to the Father, and he lives in us and with us. And what we're working out is not our Christian life and our best effort to be like him, but it's actually we're working out his life that he now lives in us. And when you see that, Christians, when you see that, it makes perfect sense why Paul would say, work it out with fear and trembling, panic and terror, shaking. That's what those words mean. I'm not making that up. But I think we have to consider it in context. It, I don't think Paul intends for us to live out our Christian life in panic. What he's talking about, I think, is a reverential awe, wonder, amazement, astonishment. Be astounded at what God is working in you and then let that be worked out in your life. It's, it, it, I've told this story before. Indulge me, those of you that heard, have heard it. It reminds me, in 2001, Mary and I stood on the south lawn of the White House when then President George W. Bush landed in Marine One on the south lawn in his helicopter. It's an amazing experience. We got there. We're on this rope line. Everything's kind of calm and people just meandering around, not much going on. And then all of a sudden you hear the helicopter and, and the jet planes and the other helicopter that's kind of flanking it, and they come around the White House, and they start to land, and snipers stood up on the roof. Secret service came out of everywhere. The place just came to life. And you know, my first sensation when I experienced that, I felt really, really small. Like, this is huge. This is bigger than me. I feel like a little just a little speck in this thing we call America. And yet at the same time, I also felt this sensation. I'm a part of something really great as an American citizen. It was kind of patriotically motivating, right? Is that I'm a part of this. This is my president, right? So not apples to apples, but I think Paul is saying, look, consider this Jesus what he's done and what he is doing and what God is working in you through him 
and be incredibly, totally overwhelmed and in awe of that. And with that basis, work out your salvation. Make effort in it, but not on the basis of your strength, not on the basis of your self-discipline, not on the basis of just your knowledge and your ability, but on the basis of what God is working in you. So what does it look like? What does it look like, Christians, for us, if, if the Christian life is not a we get out what we put in, but it's rather we work out what God works in, what does that look like? Well, he's already given us some examples, right? We think about the end of chapter 1 where Paul instructed us to have fearless unity in the face of opposition. At the beginning of chapter 2, he tells us, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Put the interest of others ahead of your own. And in context, he's not talking about outside the body of Christ. He's talking about within the church. Christians among the Christian community, his instruction to us under inspiration of the Spirit is, you count each other more significant than yourself. You look not just to your own interest, but to the interest of others. That is an example of how we work out what God is working in. Now he's going to add to it. Are y'all ready for this? Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. And I don't think I have to tell you that in the Greek, all things means all things. So it's comprehensive. But I don't think it would be wrong for us to consider what is Paul focused on in this immediate context? Fasten your seatbelts. In humility, Christians, count others more significant than yourselves, more superior to you. Look not to your own interest only, but also to the interest of others. And do that without grumbling. The word means murmur. It's don't murmur about it. Put others ahead of yourself and don't complain. And the word questioning means thoughts. <laughs> Put the interest of others ahead of your own and don't even think about having a bad attitude about it. <laughs> I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> years ago, a lot of years ago, Mary and I lived in Simpsonville and a neighbor down the street asked us to help them move. A little public service announcement. When you ask a friend to help you move or a neighbor, be packed when they show up. Can the church say amen? I, 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 you know, it's a Saturday. It's early. It's hot, right? It's in the middle of summer. And I'm going down there to help my neighbor move that's asked me to help him load up his moving truck. And I get there and you know what he's doing? He's sorting through spark plugs one by one in his garage. I murmured. And I thought, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or even thinking about grumbling. And we do this in the body of Christ. Listen, church, 
the base, the, 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 the basis God has given us, for, or Paul has given us, for working out our salvation is the work that God is doing in us through Christ. The example, the instruction that he's given us is to work out what God is working in. The example is to put the interest of others ahead of our own and to do that without grumbling or complaining. That, that within the body of Christ, folks, remember what Jesus said. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So it's not wrong. It's not, it's, in fact, it's good. I think it's God honoring. It's Christ exalting. When we help, when we're generous, when we're kind to people outside the church, outside the body of Christ, we should never do less than that. But remember, Paul's primary emphasis here in Philippians is how we relate to one another. And the focus is that we put each other ahead of ourselves without grumbling, without even thinking about grumbling. And that is an example of how we work out what God is working in. You got it? Now Paul's going to give us a couple of incentives. Verse 15. He says, do this that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I think this is Paul's way of echoing the same thing that Jesus said. By this will all men know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Here's how Paul says it. When you do this, you will be pure. That's what that word blameless means. Guiltless is what that means. You'll be innocent. That means pure. And you'll be without blemish, without spot or blot. Now, Understand, Paul is not talking about our righteous standing with a holy God where we stand before him in the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. What he's talking about is us being a people, specifically in terms of how we relate to one another, who are above reproach in the world. In other words, the way we relate to one another does not discredit our testimony in a crooked and perverse generation. And, and let, let's just be honest. I know not all of you are from the South, but we are here in the Bible Belt. And I thank God that we, are, we have plenty of churches all over Greenville County. But you realize that a lot of those churches are started because Christians couldn't get along with other Christians. Divisiveness, grumbling, complaining, strife within the church. Paul says... Do the opposite of that. Put the interests of others ahead of your own. Do that without grumbling or complaining, and you're going to shine like lights in a dark world amidst a crooked and perverse generation. doesn't mean we're not going to get persecuted. doesn't mean that people aren't going to say negative things about us. But Paul says you'd be above reproach in the way you relate to one another. That's the part of the incentive. You got it? All right. Here's the second part. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's take that opening phrase first. Hold fast, which means what? 
Keep your focus. Keep your attention, right? Keep your eyes right here. Hold on. Don't let yourself be distracted. Similar to have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Back in verse 5, right? So hold fast to what? The word of life. I stopped and I'm like, I don't want to assume what that means. So I looked that phrase up, word of life. Where else is it used in the New Testament? And I found it in 1 John chapter 1. Look at it with me on the screen. 1 John chapter 1. What is the word of life? John writes and says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made, that life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. It should be clear, not what Paul is talking about, but who he's talking about. Who's he talking about when, excuse me, John, when he talks about the word of life? Jesus. So when Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 16, hold fast to the word of life, what's he saying? Hold fast to Jesus. The one who humbled himself, emptied himself, took on human form, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You keep your eyes on Jesus as you endeavor to do all things without grumbling and complaining so that you shine like lights in the world. That's part of the incentive. Here's the second part. Make me proud. Did I read that right? So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's go on to verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's the second part of the incentive. Paul says, make me proud and don't waste what I've invested in you. Amen. Seriously, Paul? I mean, at first glance, I don't know about you, but it almost feels like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then he turns right around and tells us to put the interests of others ahead of our own. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. And here's one of the incentives he gives us. You make me proud. You don't waste. Don't let what I, the ministry that I did among you in Philippi be wasted or in vain. I, I want to look at that from two angles. Okay? First from the standpoint of the Apostle Paul. Paul is offering as an incentive to them that they make him proud. That his labor among them wasn't in vain. Can I, can I just be vulnerable? Amen. Wayne says I can. <laughs> A little vulnerable transparency, okay? And, and I'm not looking for pity here. But the hardest thing about pastoral ministry, bar none, been doing this over 20 years, is when Mary and I pour our life out. We invest in people, blood, sweat, and tears, hours of prayer, counsel, crying, reading scripture, up at night, up early, 
sacrifice of our family. Only to see the people that we are poured out for walk away and treat it with contempt. It's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's something that we've talked at length about. How do we do this and not become hard and bitter? Like a doctor or surgeon that goes from deathbed to deathbed to deathbed in the hospital and he just categorizes it, puts it away in some category in his brain without or her brain without getting emotional. How do we do this? Can't become hard. And here's what I'll tell you we've learned is that there's no circumventing the grief that comes when you're poured out for someone, you love them, you cry with them, you pray with them, you minister to them, you disciple them, and they treat it with contempt and walk away. There's no circumventing the grief that comes with that. And we've had to learn how to depend on the God of all comfort in that grief. But here's what I haven't known what to do with. Until last week, I think it was, in the elders meeting, we were looking at this text. What do I do with the longing in me for them not to waste it? What do I do with that? Is that selfish? I don't want all that time to be in vain. I don't want all that effort to be in vain. Is that wrong, God? Do I have to stuff that in a drawer somewhere? And I saw it here and I went, no, I don't. It's a righteous biblical longing that Paul has for the Philippians not to waste it. It's a righteous longing. It's a good thing. And sometimes I wonder if it's even a good thing to articulate that. Because pastors are not the only one who, who deal with this. Parents, you deal with this. My son's sitting on the front row, and it is not wrong for me to look at him and say, Thomas, what you and your mother, what me and your mother have invested in you, don't waste it. That's been encouraging to me. It's been helpful to me. But I would say that's not Paul's primary emphasis here. Paul's primary emphasis is on the Philippians. He looks at them and says, you don't waste, don't let it be in vain, the ministry that I've done among you. And, and the question might be, how does Paul think about the ministry that he's done? And this is really going to speak to both sides. If you identify with the apostle Paul in this, or you identify with the Philippians, I think we probably all identify with both. Because all of us, wouldn't we say this is true, Christians? We're pouring into somebody, I hope. And somebody poured into us. How does Paul think about it? Look at verse 17 again. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. This is what's so amazing. Paul doesn't see himself as merely or simply pouring himself out. He's being poured out. What's one of the ways that God works in us? He works in us through people that he pours out. 
And, and listen, I've had people that are, have been poured out for me. They were a sacrificial offering upon the altar of my faith. They were poured out for me. And you've had people that were poured out for you. And here's the call. Don't waste it. Don't treat it with contempt because that was God's working in you what you need to be working out. And Paul says, look, if that's what's happening, if I'm being poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice. When we are poured out, when we are poured out for the sake of others' faith, we can rejoice. We can have great joy regardless of how they respond. Why? Because God's doing the pouring. God's the one that works in. He's the one that begins the good work and he's the one that finishes the good work. So all the people that God has poured us out for, we can be glad and rejoice because it's God's work. But then he says to the Philippians, look, if I'm poured out for you, I'm gonna rejoice and you should rejoice with me. What's he saying? Philippians, Christians at Res Church, you should rejoice for the people that have been poured out for you, for the sake of your faith. And, and, and you might be here this morning and you might, you might be experiencing a season where you're tempted to not hold fast to the word of life. Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus Maybe you've never grabbed a hold of the word of life yourself. Maybe, you, maybe you've never even been born again or experienced salvation, but something's resonating in you right now is that I see people around me in my life that are being poured out, and here's the call under inspiration of the Spirit. Don't waste it. Instead, be glad. Rejoice. Why? Because God's working something in you. He's working something in you that you get to work out. You get to experience because life doesn't have to be, folks. It doesn't, and this is, I don't know about you, but this is like comforting to me. Life doesn't have to be, I get out what I put in. It actually could be by faith in Christ. I work out what he works in. And I want you to think, folks, I'm talking specifically to the people that maybe are tempted to wander away right now, tempted to push back from the table, treat with contempt the gospel that you've heard. I want you to think about that grandmother. I want you to think about your spouse, your sibling. I want you to think about that person that's annoying the hound out of you right now, wanting to get coffee every week. You know what's happening? God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who formed us in our mother's wombs, he's pouring people out for the sake of our faith. 
And this incentive, you know what it does? It beckons us to rejoice, not in what we're putting in and getting out, but that God is working in. And we get to work out that he really does begin good work in his people and he's faithful to complete it. This beckons us away from the ledge of self-sustaining religion that ends up nowhere. It beckons us away from dependence on self to a rejoicing in the work that God is doing. So if you're being poured out, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand, but I'll just say it this way. If you're being poured out for your children, for your spouse, for your grandchildren, for a coworker, for a friend, a neighbor, a fellow student, if you're being poured out, be glad and rejoice. And if they don't listen, you might grieve. But here's what you can know. That longing that you have for all that effort to not be wasted, that's a righteous longing. And you can rest in knowing God does the pouring out. He does the working in, right? If, you're, if someone is being poured out for you, here's the simple call. And it might sound harsh. Don't waste it. Don't treat it with contempt. Instead, recognize God is working in you. And you get to work it out with fear and trembling. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord. I think as always, we're in awe of you, and we should be. Too much of my church experience has been littered with Bradley, you'll get out what you put in. And it's not that that's entirely wrong per se, but it's, I don't know that I ever had anybody just unpack the words of the apostle Paul to say, it's not what I put in, it's what God works in. And I can lean into that and let it be worked out, lived out. I want to thank you, Lord, along with all my brothers and sisters this morning for the people that you've poured out for our faith. Some of them are already with Jesus. Some of them maybe have been in heaven with Jesus for a long time. But prayers they prayed in this life, the, the nights that they labored in prayer over us, and we didn't even know it those prayers are still bearing fruit in our lives even today. So God, we thank you for the people that you have poured out for our faith. We thank you for that. Thank you that you are doing a great work in us that we get to work out. And so like Paul said, 
I rejoice that I'm being poured out, so you rejoice with me. We rejoice for the people that you have poured out for our faith. And for those that we're being poured out for, Lord, we're glad to participate with you in the great work that you're doing in those people. Don't let us succumb to judging that work by, with our natural finite minds and ways of determining what's fruitful or not. Don't let us grow weary in well-doing. But may we, like the Apostle Paul, say, if I'm to be poured out, great. Jesus emptied himself. I don't know that we should want anything less than to finish our race empty because we were poured out for the sake of others. So I ask, Lord, that you encourage us in the faith, strengthen us, that we would work out with fear and trembling what that which you have worked in us. And for those who are on the fence, those who are saying, I'm not sure I want all this Jesus stuff. I'm not sure that I want to even be here this morning. I, I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to open blind eyes, even if they're not in this room, that there are people on minds and hearts right now that we together in unity, in faith, say, open their eyes, open their ears, take out the hearts of stone, put in the heart of flesh, renew a right spirit in them, Lord, you keep chasing them down and pour us out. Pour us out for the sake of their faith. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Mm. We're called to shine as lights in a dark world and what I know is about to happen this week that students and teachers alike are going to be heading back into the throes of of school. And I want us to pray. Um, I realize not everybody goes to a public school, but there are home schools and maybe Christian schools represented here. But if you're a teacher, um, you're a homeschool parent, or you're a student of any age, grade, public school or homeschool or whatever, would you stand? We're going to pray over you this morning before we leave. Hmm. Let's give the Lord praise for our teachers and students, would you? Come on. Church, let's pray. Come on. Pray for them. I'll I'll pray in a minute, but you pray as the Lord leads you.
I thank you for all of our teachers that are in the public school system, an environment where in many ways you're not exalted, you're not magnified, and lies creep in. I ask you, Lord, to let these teachers shine as lights in a dark place. I ask you to let them shine as lights among a crooked and perverse generation. And in everything that they do and everything that they say, may the glory of Christ shine through them. I pray the same over the public school students, that, Lord, you would protect them, shield them from harmful influence of every sort, and that they too would shine as lights. You would fill them with your spirit, and that they would magnify you in everything that they do and in every encounter that they have this school year. Lord, I pray over the homeschool parents and the homeschool students. Lord, I ask, Lord, as as these families begin another year of education, that you would infuse these homes, make them discipleship incubators, raising up young men and women to be lights in the world, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and give these parents strength, give them energy for the task ahead. And I pray over every student and over every teacher over every parent that you would surround us with your angels, that you would protect us, that you would guard us, shield us, that Lord, you, you would, your kingdom would come and your will would be done in every context for the hallowing of your name. And we thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship this morning, this time in your word. We are challenged this morning and we are also encouraged. And I ask, Lord, that you would go with us now as we scatter in your name. That we would go with great joy in what you're working in us. And that we might be able to work out that which you're working in us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z faith.com where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.